This is Raw Cut. Welcome to Life Bus. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. From food addict to health coach, today we're chatting to Lisa. Lisa for joining us today a question that we start with all of our guests is where did life start out for you thanks for having me guys really uh happy to be here so thank you life started out for me in sunny Queensland (laughs) in Brisbane Uh, I was born in Brisbane uh in the early 70s and um yeah life was um you know sunny days and um the occasional uh storms in the winter time Okay, what is life like growing up in Brisbane? Uh, it's, I, it's, I guess it's normal for me because when you're sort of growing up, you don't know any different. Um, so, yeah, I had a, a sister who's two years older um, and, you know, probably like the normal things like dolls. Um, I like to actually make potions in my nana's garden. Okay. The lantana little old yogurt containers and go pick off the flowers she, uh, they lived in Gympie uh, which was a bit north of Brisbane so mm-hmm. we would uh, travel a bit to spend time with our grandparents quite a lot uh, and camping we did a lot of camping uh, sort of in the bush but with toilets right <laughs> Very toilets? No. <laughs> no I think they were flushing probably glamping yeah. back in okay yeah. what type yes. of things did you get up to when you were camping uh, we would make damper and um, we would sort of go for Christmas and it would be near where my nana and pa would live. So we'd have some cousins come and we'd uh, have the campfire. I remember this one year I got some roller skates. I so desperately wanted roller skates yeah. and I got roller skates and we're at camping. So where am I going to use my roller skates? So yeah. I put them on and I'm rolling around. I remember they were white with the green trim and the green wheels and I'm going along this path. I had no idea how to roller skate, mind you, okay. grabbing tree to tree, bumping over tree roots on the track. It was, you know, it was pretty comical. And as you're <laughs> sort of grabbing these um, tree roots, things would be falling out like spiders, um, leeches and even scorpions. So, you know, it was pretty in the bush. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But so, you kept roller skating after that, Yeah, eh? I was going to ask. Yeah. Oh, look, the leeches, sometimes you don't know they're there till later. <laughs> oh, okay. Like you might see it on your leg or something and you'll find something itchy or all this blood sort of just coming out. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, there was a leech there. <laughs> so you, you you grew up pretty tough then. <laughs> Between the camping, the leeches. Oh, yeah. Scorpions, Scor- yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And what about schooling for you? Did you um, how was how was the school process? Uh, I don't have much memory mm. of, of of parts of my childhood. I think I've blocked it out. Okay. <laughs> um, my parents did divorce when I was quite young, and it was really you know quite a highly emotional time. Um, and I, like I wasn't bullied at school or anything like that. I think I was mostly under the radar. I kind of just went, did what I had to do, got out. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was quite shy, actually. Um, so being quite shy, you just kind of blend in with the wallpaper. You don't kind of make a scene or put yourself out there or anything like that. So I kind of, the grades I got were kind of just enough to, to get me through. Mm-hmm. And what about your sister? Uh, well, in high school, I can remember she was kind of the star 
And so she was two years older than me. So I would come through, you know, the typing class and the the business principles class and the teachers would be like, why can't you be more like your sister? Mm. Uh, That sort of thing. So I was kind of under her shadow a bit uh, in school. And um, I did leave school when I was 15. Right. Kind of felt there wasn't much hope or there was not really a path or there was no kind of thing where I would, you know, not that I wouldn't amount to much, but it was probably just better to leave school, cut your losses, get a job, start working kind of thing. Mm. Okay. I know that there are lots of kids out there who are going through similar things where their older sibling has been a really big achiever and they don't want to be like that. How did you deal with those times in your life specifically? Um, I think I just ignored it. I just thought, well, she's her, I'm me. How can we be the same? We're not. Um, we probably did look quite similar and we were always getting mixed up like our grandparents were always calling us each other's names and <laughs> it's not it's not like we were twins or anything but it was kind of almost close and you had to kind of just go, well, that's her. She likes Michael Jackson. I like Culture Club. We're different people. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm, I'm probably just not going to be at that level so sort of accept me as I am. Right, yeah. So when you were 15 and you decided that you were going to leave school and leading up to that point, mm-hmm. what did your family think of that? I don't really know. I had an auntie uh, who was quite high up at the, the Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, conglomerate uh-huh. and uh, got me a job. And I was actually started there on weekends and so Thursday nights while I was at school. And then it was kind of the end of the school year. I finished year 10 and I just kind of left and went into a full-time role working uh, so it's quite a seamless thing. I don't remember any conversations around, oh, well, you should leave school because you're not doing that well. Or I don't sort of, you know, I think it was, well, you know, maybe you'll just be better off because you can get quite good life experience working in a job versus kind of staying at school if you don't really have a like a clear life path for yourself, possibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that obviously really helped you. So what type of skills are you speaking about? Uh, well, because I said I was quite shy and mm-hmm. to demonstrate how shy I was, I once asked for a train ticket. My sister and I were going into the city and I went up to ask for a train ticket and I said, can I please have a one-way return to the city, something, something. She goes, no, you can't because you can't get a one-way and a return at the same time. So I stuffed it up and I just cried. <laughs> oh, I got it wrong. <laughs> I just had no confidence in mm-hmm. myself and mm-hmm. I was so shy. But working at KFC, there was a counter and it was a really good barrier um, between myself and the customers and I became quite confident in this job Uh, and that was great and that's probably skills I possibly wouldn't have learnt at school. Um, But having that responsibility of a job, working from, you know, 9 to 5 or, you know, whatever it is, 11 o'clock to 8 o'clock at night, it gives you a pretty good sense of responsibility. And I suppose at 15, earning $150 a week, you know, I was earning good money. (laughs) Yeah. What type of advice would you have for parents and carers who are around kids who are thinking of leaving school and heading into a career instead? Yeah, it's a tough situation because I, I... I think that everyone's so individual. Every situation is really individual. And if the kid's heart isn't in it, I don't think there's any advantage to forcing them, you know, to finish that. Um, There's a lot of opportunities out there. You know, I think in places like Heathfield High School where you can learn a trade, you know, you can do a hospitality certificate. 
that sort of thing. So, you know, there are other avenues and, um, you know, take courses and that sort of thing. So just find out what they're interested in and, and get them to learn about that. Mm. Now, um, you, you, you skimmed over a, a significant, um, uh, I guess, moment for you as a child. Um, and a lot of children go through uh, parents breaking up and those type of things. Mm. It's all sorts of reasons mm. uh, without going into all of those details. But what, what effect did it have on you as a child? We often look at kids and kids are fairly resilient. Um, yeah. But looking back, how did, how did that affect you? Uh, I think I'm quite an emotional child anyway. Um, and it really affected me. I, I think that's probably why I really became quite shy and introverted. I didn't quite feel, you know, I didn't have that sort of confidence to um, to be myself and to be sort of loud and, and have fun. And, and I was, was very serious, you know, from they say that our personality is formed from birth to seven years old and they were quite mm. highly emotional years for me. And I, I feel I actually didn't develop uh, in that time as well as, you know, some people that have a more stable, um, you know, surrounding growing up. But, you know, I love who I am today and everything I've been through, it is there's a reason for it. So everything that I went through that was kind of hard or heartbreaking or uh, all that sort of stuff, whether it would be uh, with my family or with, you know, boyfriends or anything, it, it you come out the other side a stronger person. Yeah. Great. Mm. There is so much more of Lisa's story to explore. <laughs> Please join us uh, straight after this on Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. This is Life Burst. So we are chatting to Lisa. Now, Lisa, at a certain point, you moved out of home. I did. I probably moved out, out of home a bit earlier than most because I was working full-time, earning a full-time wage, um, I moved out of home in Brisbane for a few months, but then the bright lights mm. of the Gold Coast came mm. calling. And um, because uh, I must have been 18 because, of course, you can't drink until you're 18, so mm. I wouldn't have moved there before that. So <laughs> uh, I moved to the Gold Coast uh, when I was 18 and I started working in nightclubs. Okay. So I um, entered a whole new world. I was very naive. I was very... I don't know what they say, like green or something behind the ears, wet behind the ears, mm -hmm. and I just, well, my eyes opened up um, to lots of interesting behaviours that I probably hadn't seen before, uh, all fueled by alcohol, of course. Um, and, yeah, look, I'm, I look back now and think I must have been so protected, honestly, the things we did, like walking home at night, me and my best friend, you know, that sort of thing. So um lived there for a lot of years and it still holds a very fond place in my heart it's where my kids were born it's where I met my husband mm. um it's also where I had at one quite a large turning point in my life as well I right. was taking a friend of mine he was teaching a dance class at a school mm -hmm. and as I was taking him and he's also one of like six children so a huge family like incredible um amazing family in the community and I was taking him to his teaching uh, lesson thing and as I was turning into the school a motorcycle hit my car head-on so it was quite a traumatic accident where I saw the pillion passenger of the motorcycle go over my car because I had a sunroof uh, and then the driver of the motorcycle just bang hit my car and fell over basically at the the front wheel 
where he uh, sort of hit the car and um, never experienced anything, you know, such a shocking sort of instant trauma like that was really, really, um, Mm. you just don't really know what to do or anything like that. So it was actually when school had just finished, so the bell had gone and there was a lot of kids around. So some of the parents must have called the ambulance and that sort of thing. So that was, um, yeah, it was a pretty, um, pretty shocking day for me. What happened in here? In that moment, take us back. This went up here somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it just all happened so quickly but in slow motion at the same time. Um, And you just don't know who's dead or alive or, you know, what the sort of outcome is of that that moment. And so walking away from that, I was fine, my friend was fine, but the other two guys weren't quite fine. Mm. And... Um, so we didn't find out a lot of stuff till down the track when there was court cases and things like that. So, um, you know, you just kind of have shock for a while and have to process things. And um, what it actually did when I look back, you know, a few years later, is it set me on my spiritual path. It sort of was one of those things when they say, if you don't listen to the universe, it sends a little nudge. If you don't listen to that nudge, it's going to send a bigger nudge until you get to this actual brick wall that you hit, which in my case was a motorcycle hitting my car. What happened to the motorcyclist? Um, So the guy in the back, his name was Nathan. He was 21 at the time as well. He actually was a vegetable for the rest of his life. Um, He was out here on holidays from England, so he had to get transported back. Um, And so in the court case, so they sued uh, for damages and all that, he got the highest payout uh, ever in Queensland for a motor vehicle accident because he needed 24-hour care when he got home and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the guy that was riding the bike had just multiple injuries, broken ribs, legs, you know, a lot of things. So, um, you know, we weren't really in touch with them or anything, um, but I, the information I got was through the newspapers mm. um, because this actually did all happen, or the court case and everything. I was living in New Zealand at the time, um, probably ran away. Right. Uh, to a different country uh, while that was all going on. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. So a significant turning point mm. for you, your life. Uh, you, mm. You'd come away uh, unscathed but not not really in, in lots of other ways. Physically, and, yeah, but yeah. I guess internally. Yeah. And mm. so you found yourself mm-hmm. in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Um, I kind of, you know, like we had been to Hungry Jack's before that accident and you're sitting there having a milkshake and your life is perfectly fine. And then an hour later, bang, you know, it just, I think that was the thing that really kind of just woke me up, Mm. just appreciate things a bit more Mm. because you just don't know when it could, you know, change for you. And um, so over the years, I slowly kind of opened up a bit more spiritually and because we weren't brought up religious at all. We were just, you know, I don't know, normal people, (laughs) I don't know, without Mm. any sort of religious anything. And uh, so therefore I kind of had, I was able to kind of do my own soul searching and finding out and the angels really appealed to me and I sort of started doing a lot of stuff with you know angels and reading all the books and getting the cards and doing all that kind of stuff and um before what I do now I was actually called myself the angel writer and was writing um and messages from the angels and that sort of thing for people. So big changes um, over the years. I um, really want to know about the question I always ask people is yeah. How did you and your now husband meet each other? Uh, well, we met at work. <laughs> Pretty simple, but we were working. Um, I was back on the Gold Coast, so yeah. I did the New Zealand thing. Um, 
Oh, so you didn't know him before the accident? No. Oh, we didn't okay. meet till I was like in my 30s. Right. So okay. there was a, like a look across the room. He looks pretty good. Like how, uh, how did this play out? So I was a receptionist of this company yeah. and they had glass doors where I could see out but they couldn't see in. So he would go out to the driveway or the car park, which was just outside the reception area, mm. and have like these meetings with other producers and stuff. It was in the visual effects arena. Yeah. And um, I would just kind of perv on his bum through the glass. <laughs> Does he know this? <laughs> yeah, he knows. Okay, cool. That's good because it would be really awkward if he finds it out in an interview. <laughs> well, I started working there in uh, the November of whatever year it was that we met, like yeah. 20 years ago or whatever, and then – in the December, we had the Christmas party. We yeah. hooked up and we were together ever since. So There you go. The rest is history. <laughs> well, I do want to know how you proposed. Oh, it's very romantic, actually. Um, there we go. <laughs> we were together probably almost three years. Yeah. And I must have been getting a bit antsy about, you know, what's going on with us, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and one day he left me a note and said, well, don't worry about it. We'll be engaged by the end of this year. Probably just to shut me up. <laughs> and there was, I can't remember what the party was, must have been maybe a work function or something. So this Mexican place on the Gold Coast and we're having a lovely time. He goes, oh, there's a limousine out uh, in the car park. Let's go get a ride to the beach because it's just down the road from Surface Paradise. So mm-hmm. he just jumped in this limo that just happened to be there. Yeah, you're not um, suspicious of that at all. Like- <laughs> it wasn't. Probably a few margaritas in. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we've got a limo to the beach and we're walking down the beach and he gets down on one knee and proposes to me. All these drunk people around go, yeah. (laughs) uh, We get back in the limo, takes me to the Marriott Hotel where he's organised champagne, rose petals on the bed and all this kind of stuff. So we spent the night there and, um, yeah, it was really, really lovely. Right. You couldn't help but say yes after all that. Well, no, I didn't feel like I had to, but (laughs) I wanted to. You wanted to say yes. (laughs) Now back to New Zealand, you had a brush with fame during your time over there as well. I did. New Zealand was beautiful. Um, I started working in the snow there. Uh, did a season and then when the season ended I went to Christchurch and um, helped open the Christchurch Casino. Okay. So the very first casino in New Zealand um, and I started at the ground floor working in the bar, worked my way up to bar supervisor and then the high rollers room I got a job as the supervisor, the food and beverage uh, manager in the high rollers room which was amazing. My boss took me shopping for my uniform and got me designer two designer outfits for my uniform um, and it was beautiful. Um, people just got a little buffet there with cheeses and oysters and, you know, free Johnny Walker Blue and Verve Clico Champagne and the few little tables that were there and overlooking the casino floor. And one night these people came in and I got them some drinks. I was at the bar waiting for them to get the drinks for me and someone said, Michael J. Fox is here. I said, no, he's not. I said, if he was here, I would know because we were going to get married when I was 15. <laughs> Had a huge crush yeah, <laughs> watching yeah. Family Ties and, and Teen Wolf and all that. And I went back over to take these drinks to these guys. It was a lemon squash and a soda water, and it was Michael J. Fox and a bodyguard. And he was just so short, and his hair was cut differently. His hair was cut really short, and I didn't recognise him. And I've gone, holy dooly, that is Michael J. Fox. (laughs) (laughs) So they would come in uh, on the weekends. They were filming Frighteners over there. He would always, um, one day I opened up the door, and he was just there. And he goes, oh, hi, Lisa, how are you? You look beautiful today. I've just gone. 
<laughs> Thank you. Please come in. <laughs> composure, composure, composure. Yeah. And this is before your husband, isn't it? It is. So, he yeah. was married, before. but he was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Good to clarify there. Nice, nice. Well, there you go. So, look, yeah. brushes with fame, and uh, Lisa has more story to tell. So, stay with us. This is Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. This is Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. We're chatting with Lisa. Now, Lisa, continue us on the journey of your life and the adventures. <laughs> oh, adventures, definitely. So I guess returning to Australia from uh, New Zealand, I uh, landed back in Queensland. Um, I guess living in New Zealand give, gave me a really good appreciation for home. You know, I really um, so grateful for this amazing country that we live in with beautiful weather and um Moved back and uh, managed to, I landed um, sort of in Harvey Bay, Maribyrnong area, which is north of Brisbane. It's a little bit kind of country town mm-hmm. um, sort of place. And I was working at a resort, actually, which was 10 days old and four days off. And one of my best friends happened to live on the mainland and I would stay with her uh, on my days off. And I have no idea really what possessed me. But one day I walked into a radio station, so like a national radio station there, CFM it was called. And I uh, actually walked out with a job on air. So it was the freebie truck driver girl job. <laughs> but still, I walked out of there thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Right. You know, on Monday I'm going to be on air on radio and I have never done anything like this before. So I really had to kind of just fake it till you make it sort of thing. And they gave me this cool name, LA Woman, because uh, my name was Lisa Alexander uh-huh. back then. So okay. I was LA woman, and um, yeah, it just was so much fun. I just can't. So believe you went it. around giveaways and yeah, oh, yeah, fantastic. In the morning, so between the two areas, so Harvey Bay or Maribyrnong, I chose a spot. I'd let them know where I was. My boots full of Tim Tams and chocolate milk and Smith chips and stuff like that. <laughs> so people loved me. Yeah, of course <laughs> they did. <laughs> yeah, Tim Tam. <laughs> yeah, but some of the perks of the job, uh, Casey Chambers came to town, so I got to hang out with her. Killing Heidi were pretty big back then in the day so hanging out with them and like take them from the venue to their accommodation that sort of thing um john stevens and uh, in excess um just got to meet some pretty cool people so you just walked in and you walked out with a job <laughs> and you became uh famous across the whole region well i don't know about famous well, or like, la woman yeah yeah and my boss there was great sometimes he'd let me come into the studio when i finished my shift and one day with no warning, he handed me the weather. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I started reading this on air. Um, and so instead of saying outlook for Saturday, I said, look out for Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of dyslexia coming in there, yeah. but they all had a good laugh at it. So yeah. it's pretty funny. Right. So how long did you stick at that uh, that role as LA woman? Uh, um, I did it for probably maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then I said, I just got, you know, I wanted more sort of involvement in the radio station. So I did a little bit of the office work, working with the sales team. And I ended up doing or pre-recording the graveyard shift. So mm-hmm. that was pretty good. I thought maybe I've got a career in radio. Um, For people who don't know what the graveyard shift is. Oh, <laughs> that's like, so it's the like midnight till 6am yeah. shift, but mm-hmm. I pre-recorded it in the daytime. So that was great. I didn't have to get up and do those awful hours. <laughs> yeah. It's the magic of radio. <laughs> yes, that's right. Shh, don't tell them that it's pre-recorded. You can watch us wherever you get your podcasts from and listen to us. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 
So we'd have listeners who are listening to community radio and community television as well. Uh, what would you say to people who are, you know, are considering it, even if it's not a paid gig, but uh, giving it a go? Oh, you'd have to. I mean, it's just so much fun. The people that you meet, uh, you just don't know what you're capable of until you do it. Mm-hmm. And even if it's scary, I'd say that's still even better then because that fear is kind of there for a reason. It's like a stop sign. But you know because you wouldn't be having these urges or these feelings to want to do something. Um, And the fear is just, um, you know, a protection mechanism that our brain has. Our brain is wired for um, a negativity bias to keep us safe, you know, back from the old caveman days. Mm. Uh, And it can be pretty strong and overpowering, this fear. But what I've learned is you just have to do it anyway, Mm. even if it scares you. You push through it, you name it, and you push through it, and you come out the other end. That's it. Because nothing bad's going to happen, is it? That's it. Yeah. I don't think so, anyway. Well, in most cases, yeah. So uh, the the graveyard shift, so quite a different uh, group of people you were now speaking to over the radio than those you were meeting on the street uh, previously. Yes. Um, Yeah, so you kept that up for a while. Yeah, I did that for a while um, and then just um, actually I got a job back on the Gold Coast and that's where I met my husband. <laughs> okay, right. This is where yeah, your other job comes of, in. Too. Yeah, so I got a job. Um, I had a friend on the Gold Coast who worked at this, this film place where my husband worked uh, and she's like, we need a receptionist. Come back okay. to the Gold Coast. And so I went for an interview. I drove from Harvey Bay to the Gold Coast, which is a decent drive, about four hours or so for the day for the interview went back home to Thingy where I lived in Harvey Bay and, um, yes, yeah, so I ended up getting that job and moved uh, everything back to the Gold Coast. That's a lot of moving. How do you sort through all your stuff to, like, <laughs> compact it down to be able to do that? Yeah, well, I guess when you rent places, um, you might rent a place with someone else who's already got furniture and stuff like that, but I do like to be a bit of a minimalist and not, like, I do like throwing stuff out. Uh, and not accumulating too much stuff. So, have you kept hold of that now? Being yes, older? I live with a man who likes to have lots of memories of his childhood and um, university days and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, what do you need this stuff for? Like, it's, it doesn't serve a purpose. You're not going to need it one day, I'm sure. But anyway, one has to learn to share space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not all about there. me. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yes. Wow. So, um, I mean, you've done a fair bit of different things in those those early years, um, from KFC to uh, you know celebrity banquets <laughs> to, to radio and becoming a celebrity in a way yourself. So, mm. um, did any of that uh, tie in with what you'd hoped to to be as you, you know, finished off school? I didn't really know what I wanted to do mm. or be, and that's probably been one of my not a big problem, but I have just gone from thing to thing and some people have sort of said to me how do you do it like how do you land on your feet all the time how do you walk into a radio station and get a job (laughs) um and yeah it's really amazing I don't really know uh it just I guess it's kind of like a trust thing not having that plan I'm open to experiences Mm -hmm. to come in uh and I think that's just kind of how I lived my life you know I didn't I wasn't a lot of time I wasn't really aware of stuff, you know. What you were doing. Or, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. kind of thought, well, this looks good. I'll follow this and do this and I would get it. It's like, okay, cool. Mm. Because I probably didn't have that resistance. Sometimes people have resistance 
to things working out or success or mm-hmm. or something like that. And maybe I didn't have that. Mm. There's a new word for those types of careers. It's called the squiggly career. Okay. It's a squiggly line where you jump into lots of different things rather than just having one single thing that you do for the rest of your life. Yeah, that explains it. That might be more helpful for me. If you ever do future interviews about your life, you can call it that. <laughs> squiggly, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, then as you got married, you've told mm-hmm. us that story already. Yeah. Um, and awesome story if you missed yeah, it. How did, how did life change for you uh, or did it? Uh, I guess it did. Um, see, my husband really wanted children and I didn't. I think because of, you know, my past and my childhood, I, I didn't think I would be a good mom or possibly not uh, a lot of positive role models and that sort of thing in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't want children. And he definitely did. Like from when he was 17, he wanted to have kids. So he had to do a lot of work on me. And we got a cat first and then a puppy. <laughs> and then, you know, I just loved him so much. I decided that I wanted to have children. So <laughs> we did. <laughs> right, yes. Um, so our son was born. He's now 14. He'll be 15 in a couple of weeks. Um, and, it, yeah, I just, like, I loved my husband and I just didn't know, I just didn't think you could love anyone or anything more than how much I loved my husband. But when my son was born, whew, you know, uh, was it the hormones or mother's instinct or what? But yeah, gosh, just the love was, I, it just was blew my mind. It was overwhelming, possibly even. Mm. So um, it kind of was a double edged sword how much I loved him because I didn't really want him to experience things like, you know, discomfort and crying in the night and that sort of thing. So in the nighttime, whenever he would cry, I would go to him. And what this meant after a year of doing that, I was quite sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. And I went to the doctor and they, they gave me antidepressants. So it's like you're depressed, you, um, you, you know, haven't been sleeping and all this kind of stuff. So that was the first time I went on antidepressants. And honestly, the next day I felt incredible. I thought, oh, my God, why have I been waiting so long to do this? You know, I just felt amazing and it had been a long time since I felt amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's this whole childhood thing, having a, um, my own children, it's really, you know, you learn so much from your kids. It opened up my heart. And I just think I, I wasn't really equipped to deal with it. You know, I had a lot of trouble with the breastfeeding and the sleeping through the night. Um, and my husband was really, really supportive and got lactation consultants and all that. But it was all coming from within this feeling of not knowing what to do or how to do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, sure there's a lot of uh, mothers uh, currently who are uh, experiencing that and unsure what's a go. It's a, it's a time of mixed emotions. So mm. uh, when we come back, we'd love to hear uh, a little more of uh, how you work through the challenges of that time. Uh, this is Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement. This is Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. Welcome back. We're chatting with Lisa. Let's continue on the journey of this particular adventure in your life. <laughs> mm, challenging one. This is a big one. Uh, so, yes, having children 
it really, um, I didn't really know what to expect, I suppose. And because I had never seen myself as a mother, uh, I, I really felt like a deeply out of water as a fish. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and sort of just sort of getting through each day. And so, you know, I would sort of say to anyone that's struggling at the moment is that it is only going to be a phase of your life and you will get through it. Mm-hmm. Like my son's almost 15 now. So, you know, I got through it um, just with support from my husband, which was amazing. I didn't probably tell many people. I'm the sort of person that deals with stuff on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to work through things on my own. And as time went by, you know, I was on antidepressants for probably a year and a half. But something else was happening that really, really troubled me, and that's every day I wanted to sort of eat healthy, but every day my hand was in that cookie jar and I was stopping my face. Mm. And um, I have a saying now, it's each day we can face our stuff or stuff our face. So what I didn't know was happening is that, you know, so much emotion around my baby, am I doing a good job, I don't know what to do, how do I do this? was all this mix of emotion and feelings in me and I didn't sort of know that I could kind of take up a stand and stand up for myself and go, well, this is what I need because I didn't know. I didn't know what I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was using food for comfort because probably before kids I would have drunk a lot. You know, I drank a lot of bourbon and Coke in the nightclub days and that kind of thing. So I was a bit of a binge drinker before that recognizing this now yeah, <laughs> you know yes, over after the fact mm. um some years after i gave up when i was pregnant and breastfeeding and you know there was just such an incongruence between what i wanted in my head for myself mm-hmm. this picture of a, a capable mum who has a baby on this arm and stirring the bolognese with this arm you know um it just wasn't the case and i just wasn't strong enough inside of me to get to that picture And that picture of, you know, kind of what I wanted was so far away and the more I ate, the further away it became. So that darkness closes in. Um, When you were coming off of the antidepressants, because you've mentioned that you've come off of that, there's so many people in society now are on those things and many may be thinking of coming off of them. What Mm -hmm. happened to you when you came off of them? From my perspective, and I don't judge anyone for being on any medication or doing anything because it's all personal choice, and I just felt for me I was still eating. I was still binging, so it wasn't serving its purpose. Okay. Whatever this antidepressant was supposed to be doing in my brain, it wasn't fixing it. It was kind of like a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. So I thought I need to deal with whatever it is. I need mm-hmm. to get off this drug and I need to just, you know, try and work it out myself so then I would have therapy every year. Um, go to the doctors and get on the mental health plan and have as much therapy as I could, basically. Uh, I would have healings, Reiki, tapping, um, my own soul-searching, personal development books, seminars. I was like a dog with a bone, man. I just You were searching just, for everything. Yes. You were trying to find answers in many different places. That's it. Uh, how yeah. about in in your head in particular? What type of side effects did you have coming off of these things? I don't recall side effects coming off the antidepressants. Mm -hmm. I think you have to do it the right way. I would never just stop it without saying to my doctor, hey, you know, we need to to address this in a different way perhaps. Uh, So I did it safely. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people's brains might need them, you know, but I just felt for me it just wasn't working. 
Uh, although I went on them a second time when my daughter was around about one for the same reason, just not sleeping in the night and just oh, couldn't get off the couch, you know, just really heavy and low and dark and all that kind of thing. And did they have the same effects uh, the second time around or was it slightly different? It wasn't as instant. Like the first okay. time, the next day I felt amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the second time around, it kind of probably just brought me up a couple of levels, mm-hmm. you know, and it sort of stopped this kind of up and down, I guess, kind of situation of feeling, you know, invincible one day and then you can't get out of bed the next sort mm. of day. So a bit of regulation there. Excellent. But, again, the food thing, I was still stopping my face mm. uh, most days. So What was your, like, go-to food that you found that you were going to all the time? Chocolate, baby. It was chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> Any particular type of chocolate here? <laughs> Oh, look, just the, normally the Cadbury, you know, yeah. that's got the most sugar it's in it. It's full of lots of sugar, I'm going to say. That's, yes. <laughs> it's addictive. And often on special. Yeah. <laughs> often on special. Yeah, I understand. Yes. Yeah. yes. So, uh, it's a you, really serious thing we're talking about right now. I just, just say that. <laughs> you mentioned that um, early on you knew you wanted to eat healthy, but you were finding you weren't. So uh, food was always in the back of your mind as a, a key to good health and perhaps even good mental health. Uh, through all of that searching, food was something that you came back to as a, as a key part of your journey forward. Yeah, look, it was a coping mechanism. Mm. I didn't realise it at the time, but I was using it to cope. It was like a best friend. I didn't know who I was without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually a funny thing happened when we moved here to Adelaide. I started taking something uh, which was called a uh, olive leaf extract. It was made by Roseneath, which is a Mylor company. They don't make this product anymore. It's amazing for your immune system. And I started taking this for my immune system just because I thought, oh, well, if I'm eating all this crap food, I've got to try and do something good for about myself. Style. Yeah, yeah about <laughs> diet, chocolate in one hand, uh, olive leaf extract in the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and after taking this for a few days, I actually didn't have any cravings. Right. So maybe about a week in. And I rang up the guy and I said, look, I'm taking this stuff and I'm not having any cravings. And um, he just said, yeah, diabetics have had some good success with it and all this kind of stuff. He can't say anything medicinal because of the, you know, the laws and stuff like That's that. Right, yeah. But the weird thing is it made me uncomfortable not having cravings. It's like I didn't know who I was without food addiction, you know. It was such a part of me. And my brain, I actually kept saying, I can't believe it. I don't believe it. You know, I couldn't believe that this thing and who I was without these cravings, you know, it felt really uncomfortable. And to me, that just proves how powerful our brain is in our words. Mm. You know, by me saying, I can't believe this, you know, the cravings came back. Right. Right. Because you were thinking in that way and that was happening. Yeah. It's good to recognise that. It is very powerful. Mm. Like Our words have such power, the vibration the meaning, the emotion or the feeling behind it. Mm, That's right. Yes, Mm. and you've spoken multiple times already within your story about how powerful it is for you to speak those words out and it gives them less meaning in your life. That's it. The brain Mm. likes to make things a lot scarier than what they really are. Like you were saying before, what if someone wants to go and work in uh, community radio and they've got all this fear holding them back? Well, I would say that the fear is making it worse than what it actually is Mm. because it doesn't want you to fail. Mm. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So you uh, at some point moved to South uh, Australia? Yep. We actually moved to Melbourne for two years oh, right. um, and then we, we've been here uh, in Adelaide for about 10 years. So. Yeah, okay. You didn't like Melbourne? <laughs> well, 
G'day to yeah, our Melbourne we, Yeah, no. <laughs> Hello to those watching on community television in Melbourne. It was very different. It was hard to sort of get friendship groups going yeah. and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've had food addiction in three states. So, mm, Wow. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's it's, you know, we, we laugh a bit, but it is it's significant. It is and when, significant when you're in it, thing. you, um, and mm. it is an addiction and it was debilitating and you wanted to get out. Um, so where did the path take you as, as a next step from there? When you were in Adelaide. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll just have to say that we do have to laugh at things, you know, because we're having a bit of a laugh here. I think it's important mm. because mm. it changes your state. It gets you out of this. Oh, my goodness, this is awful. I'm in this thing and I, I don't know how to get out of it. But if we laugh, it's going to change the neural pathways in your brain and you change your emotional state, which is everything. Mm. It's one of the biggest things that you can do to get out of depression. Um, so how did I start getting out of food addiction? We're going to come back and we'll talk about that afterwards. <laughs> I was waiting for that moment. I really was. This is awesome. This is life first of Matt and Sarah. We'll be back with Lisa to find out how she got out after this. Raw Cut is also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle rawcutau. You are joining us on Life Bursts with Matt and Sarah. We are chatting to Lisa. And Lisa, you've left us hanging. Uh, we, uh, you've been uh, suffering food addiction as a, as a young mum. Uh, how did you work through that and how did you come out of that? It's a process. And I would say if you have a pen and paper, write this down, small, consistent daily action. So when I had food addiction, it was 10 years that mm. I was living in this like cycle mm. and um i had lots of therapy did all my own soul searching that sort of thing and mm -hmm. i would really recommend do as much as you can get as much help as you can because something's got to get in you know at some point no matter how much therapies have or healings or anything something is going to go in your brain each time mm. so mm -hmm. give us those so, words again now that they've got their pen and paper small <laughs> consistent daily action yeah so just getting up every day what am I doing today? So I started uh, setting a goal I could keep right. because every Monday I would get up and go, I'm going to eat healthy today, and I didn't. By 11 o'clock, my hand was in that cookie jar. So clearly that was not a goal that was working for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I decided to change my goal to two litres of water a day, which I was okay. doing anyway, yeah. but it was going by unnoticed. So two litres of water a day, and I would celebrate that at the end of the day like I'd won the Olympics. Oh, well done for that. <laughs> because we have to start teaching our brain to stop focusing on what we're doing wrong and start, you know, focusing on what we're doing right. Mm -hmm. So saying I'm going to do something and I actually do it, that's a huge win, mm -hmm. you know. So that's the very first step that I started doing. And even that day when I ate seven Mars bars and I drank my water, I still had to only focus with my thoughts every time I thought, oh, yeah, but I ate those seven Mars bars. Yes, but I had my water and I was amazing at that and I said I was going to do it and I did it. Mm -hmm. It's everything to do with the brain, retraining the brain, reconditioning from the um, negative to the positive. So really just start focusing on what you are doing well. Um, mm -hmm. Something that I used to do that tripped me up a lot was I just would not get back on track. It would take me months and months and months. So sometimes you might think, right, I'm not eating chocolate for a month or something like that, but then you do. And then you think, well, I'm a, I'm a loser. I can't do this. It's not working. Then it would take me three months to go, okay, I've put on so much weight. I need to start dieting again. And so what I started learning is, okay, well, that wasn't the end of the world. I ate chocolate. 
I didn't want to, but I have to take responsibility for it and now I'm going to move forward. So start again and start again every day if you have to, because if you don't, what's the other option? It's not starting again. So if you have to start every day, just start every day. Definitely. Um, Within your family, you know, cook, eating meals together, things like that, how did that change? Uh, it didn't change at all. That okay. No one knew what I was going through. Okay. My best friends, my husband, my family, no one knew how bad it was for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a very good actor. Mm. <laughs> uh, so even when I'd had a binge at 5 o'clock, I still presented at the dinner table as if everything was fine and I ate a full meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of my goals that I had later on was I actually want to be hungry at dinner time because I was sick of just feeling so ugh and then eating dinner on top of all that as well. It was awful. Um, so just watch what you make it mean about yourself. Get back on track quicker. Take responsibility. Take that next step forward. What's my next healthy step forward from there? It's all about training your brain. Uh, I used to have really toxic thoughts about being in the kitchen every day on my own. Here I am again, doing all this again on my own. And I thought, well, that's not helpful. (laughs) Um, I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, which was a great book about being in the present moment. And every time I caught myself thinking negatively, I inserted a positive mantra, which was, I am willing to be safe. And if I was going to say to myself, I am safe, I am safe, my brain's like, I'm not going to buy that. So no. I, I say it in a way that I'm willing to be safe because I am willing to be safe. And so every time I was in the kitchen of having negative thoughts, right, this is my golden moment of awareness and consciousness. Now I get to choose what's going in my brain. And you have to absorb it, obsess over the sentence, I'm willing to be safe, and just really get it in your brain. So for every negative thought, you need probably at least 10 positive to counteract that negativity bias in the brain. It's really phenomenal. This just sounds really exhausting. <laughs> it is. Why do you keep doing this? this well, is this so is long. why depression is exhausting when you have depression because you're constantly fighting yourself. Mm. It's mental, mental fatigue. Um, it gets easier over time mm-hmm. um, because what you're doing from the conscious moments is going to sink into the subconscious moments of your brain. So when you learn to tie your shoelaces, you would consciously doing it like you're like, okay, the bunny ear over the bunny ear and that sort of thing in the loop. Mm-hmm. And then after a month, you don't need to do that anymore because you've done it enough. The brain knows what you want and it knows what's coming next. So that's what we need to do. Just train the brain. This is what I want. This is how I want it. You know, I'm willing to be safe. And at first it's just words, but then we start feeling the feeling of the words. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's where the magic happens because when you're talking to the brain, it doesn't really understand the words, but it knows the feeling. That's right. Mm. That's the powerful part of it is how your feelings go along with those actions. And that's where it gets powerful. Tell us about the moment that your friends and husband found out or have they never found out? (laughs) Probably just watching this. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how they're supposed to feel in this moment. (laughs) Look, my husband was great. Um, He knew, you know, probably the most out of everybody, really. Um, And so if I ever needed help, he's like, go get your help. Go get your psychologist. Do whatever you want to do. He probably would have preferred I maybe was on antidepressants more. Uh, But he had to trust that I knew what I was doing from my perspective because Mm -hmm. it's my body, so Mm -hmm. I get to say. And although his life might have been a bit easier (laughs) with me on antidepressants, um, 
you know, I just couldn't go back to it because I knew it didn't really solve my issues, you okay. know. Mm. Um, but I've got time for a quick story. I'll just yeah. tell you this one thing where okay. one day I was at home yeah. and I had this sort of intuitive feeling um, to just feel the discomfort. Like I was kind of having those thoughts, I want to eat chocolate, and I was sick of myself, like just so sick of myself eating chocolate every day. And I had this thought, just feel the discomfort. And I'm like, well, I have two choices. One is to keep stuffing my face. The other is to feel discomfort. I'm going to have to try the discomfort thing because I'm sick of this other thing. Yeah. So I just sat down at the kitchen table and just sat there, just breathing, feeling what I was feeling, Mm -hmm. and nothing bad happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yay! <laughs> so that well done. kind of was a big turning yeah, point. Yeah, a big moment. Yeah, mm. that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Wow! Thanks for sharing that with us. But mm. really, what you're saying is that you're, there's a success story here, but um, it was intentional. It wasn't easy, um, but with persistence and the right strategy, some of which you've shared, you you got yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Small, consistent daily action. Yeah, excellent. And oh. Now you go out and you teach other people. I do. do yeah. stuff too, which is we were talking about mm. um, in between the interviews. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so helping, uh, I do help mostly women, I have to say, because I've got more experience with that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I know it affects people, um, all ages and all genders. Um, and I just help them to do what I, I did myself. Yeah. So not to be afraid of my fear. And, um, yeah, I, I help people find themselves again because there's this big wall um, of fear and chocolate and stuff like that. And mm. we have fun, you know, like mm. it is a serious topic, mm-hmm. but let's have some fun doing it, you know. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing Pleasure. so far. We've come to the final minute of our show today. And if you had one piece of advice to share with our listeners today, what would that be? Oh, it would definitely be to feel the discomfort. Um, you know, nothing bad is going to happen to you. And I honestly thought that if I stopped eating chocolate, all of my emotions would come out and I would spiral down even further than where I already was. But that didn't happen. And normally once you allow yourself to feel your feelings, you actually feel relief on the other side of that. So highly recommend it, as scary as it is. Um, Just give it a go, even for two minutes. Like just set a timer on your phone. Just sit here and feel my feelings. Mm. And then eat the chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Very powerful. Yeah. Your whole story has been. Thank you so much, Lisa. Pleasure. Mm. Thank you, Lisa. Really, I'm sure that was really helpful and encouraging to a lot of our Mm. our listeners as well Mm. going through similar things. This has been Life Bursts. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. You can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from and video podcast on YouTube and Facebook. Thanks so much for watching. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshraw Ozadigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Rawcut production.